Jude 22, 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray for your help now. We need hearts that are humble, recognizing our need for uh, grace from you through Jesus Christ, recognizing that we we don't know at all, um, so we need to learn, and recognizing that we are not following your word as we ought to in our lives. And so we need to uh, uh, have courage, have faith to lead us to obey. And in particular this morning, we're going to hear your word tell us about how we are to respond uh, and uh, relate to other people, some amongst us. So, Father, give us help, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we have been making our way through this brief letter, uh, we've noticed how Jude likes to point us back to the Old Testament scriptures, which he's not alone in doing this. Uh, All the apostles uh, do this uh, in their writings in the New Testament as well. Uh, He does this to illustrate his points that he's trying to make in the letter and to provide examples to help his readers understand how they are to respond to the situation that they are facing uh, within their church. Um, He does this again uh, in these two verses that we just read, um, although it's not quite as obvious. He doesn't mention any names um, in these two verses, although um, we, we can definitely see that he is referring back to the Old Testament scripture. You, you know, he, he, earlier in, in his letter, he mentioned the names of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, of Cain, of, of Balaam, and, and Korah. And so we knew he was referring back to the scriptures. Uh, but Jude here, again, just assumes that his readers are very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. So that he just writes uh, what he does here, uh, assuming that his readers will just immediately think of the same passage that uh, uh, he was thinking of and the same scene uh, in that uh, book of the Bible in the Old Testament that, that he was thinking of as he's writing this. He's doing this on purpose to make a point, and his point is that the believers that he's writing to here ought not to give up hope on those who may have been led astray by the false teachers who had come into the church, and uh, those believers um, may have been ensnared as well in in sin and following these these false teachers. And so he's saying, don't give up hope here. If if we are going to contend for the faith, Judah's saying here, we must also contend for their faith and seek to help them know the truth as well. Uh, So the Old Testament passage that Judah is, is looking for guidance and for hope is actually Zechariah chapter 3. He's actually mentioned that, that, that passage before in his letter. So Zechariah chapter 3, 
And in Zechariah 3, um, uh, the book of Zechariah is a series of visions that the, the prophet uh, is given, and then he records descriptions of these visions in his book. The fourth of these visions is found in Zechariah chapter 3. So I thought it would be good for us to maybe turn back uh, there to Zechariah 3. If you have your Bible, turn, turn back there to Zechariah 3 and uh, listen um, to what Zechariah saw in this vision. Zechariah 3, Zechariah is at the end of the Old Testament. So not too far um, over in your Bibles to, to the left. We'll see what, listen to what Zechariah saw in his vision and see the message that Jude wants us to have in the background of our minds as we consider his exhortations in the two verses that we just read from Jude. So Zechariah was a prophet, uh, a prophet of those who had returned to the promised land from their exile in Babylon. And in this vision, a man named Joshua was uh, one of their leaders. He was a high priest. Uh, he was uh, in the vision along with the angel of the Lord and Satan. So those are the characters that Jude or that Zechariah sees in this vision. And you should know that the, the name Satan in uh, uh, Hebrew means accuser. You should also know that Joshua, as a priest, represented the people of God. So uh, when you hear what happens in, in this vision, remember again, Satan's the accuser, and Joshua stands for the people of God. Zechariah 3, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And, he, and I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So the Lord's message to Zechariah with, with that vision is that his people may be filthy, with their sin and unbelief, they definitely may have wandered away from him in a whole number of different ways, but the Lord had not given up on them. He was not going to leave them. He was not going to forsake them, as our song just reminded us. He'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. The Lord is going to save them. He would be the one who would make them clean. The Lord is their Savior. Therefore, Jude is pointing us back to Zechariah's vision in order to show us how we are to think about those in the church who may have been led astray by false teachers or who may be wandering away from the truth of the gospel. We are to care about them as the Lord does. We are to show them mercy as we have been shown mercy from the Lord. And there is hope for them, Judah saying, because the Lord is able to save them. 
The Lord is able to give them pure vestments. The Lord is able to pluck them from the fire. We may not be able to save. They are definitely not able themselves to save themselves, but the Lord is able to save them from condemnation. So put your hope in the Lord and believe his word. So after focusing on those within the church who remain faithful and how they can remain in the love of God, that's what we heard last week in verses 20 through 21, Jude now turns our attention to the others, the others in these two verses. He points us to those who may be in trouble from falling under the influence of the false teachers, and Jude is calling us, the church, to go after them, to not give up on them. So our main theme uh, in Jude 22 and 23, we are called to carefully extend mercy to those straying from the faith, taking their need for salvation seriously. So as we look at these two verses, there are two different words repeated and emphasized. That word, uh, that is the word mercy, or in some translations it says compassion. And the second word is for who Jude is directing his readers to extend that mercy. That would be towards the others. The others. The others to whom Jude is referring seem to be those who are part of the church, who had believed the gospel, but who had recently come under the influence of these intruders, these false teachers that Jude had been warning the church about throughout this letter. And in verses 22 and 23, he's addressing a very real problem that the church would have. That is, how do we respond to those who have been influenced, who have been led astray by these false teachers? What are we to do? It's actually a very common issue that local churches have had to deal with throughout the centuries and even today. How are we to respond to those within the church who may be straying away from believing and following you know, something else other than the biblical gospel? Well, Jude divides these folks up into three different categories. The first are those who were in the early stages of wavering in their commitment to the faith. He calls them those who doubt. Uh, in verse 22. Uh, they were beginning to, to question biblical truth. Uh, and in the second group were those who were becoming persuaded by the false teaching and were in danger of completely turning away from the faith. They needed to be rescued. So Jude points to them in the first part of verse 23. And then the third group were those whom the false teachers probably had convinced. They had turned away from the Lord and were living in sin and Jude calls the church to show mercy to them as well, but also to be careful, be careful, be careful not to be influenced or tempted by them to follow in their sin and unbelief. So those are the three groups that, uh, that make up uh, the structure of our passage and, and our sermon this morning. Uh, Jude gives words of instruction and caution to the church and how they are to deal with these three different groups. Uh, so number one. The first group, show mercy to those whose faith is weak. Show mercy to those whose faith is weak, verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Well, it was just one month ago now that the high school students and uh, Greta and I uh, were in Colorado uh, enjoying the Rocky Mountain National Park there, and on the first morning 
we were there in Colorado. We got up early and went up to hike um, the, the Bear Lake Trail in the, the, in the National Park. It is one of the most popular trails to hike in the, the whole park um, for a good reason. So uh, even though we, we had gotten up early uh, and we arrived there early, um, we found that there were already quite a few people already up there on the trail. And what you do is you hike up the mountain and you, you, you go by a series of, of four lakes. Uh, our group um, on that hike consisted of, of nine uh, teenagers, uh, one young mother, and uh, a very middle-aged uh, guy as well. Um, but, but there were all kinds of different folks on that trail with us that we saw. Uh, we saw uh, some folks that looked like they had probably, you know, uh, don't even normally walk much, um, for exercise, much less hike up a mountain. Uh, they were on the hike uh, with us. Uh, they were struggling, to say the least. Uh, we saw young um, up on that uh, uh, trail as well, who seemed to be having no trouble at all. They could go for days um, up that mountain and back down. We also saw some young families, which my wife and I were very impressed with these young dads and the young, young moms carrying their babies or toddlers on their backs or, or up in front here, uh, hiking up those trails. Uh, we also saw some senior citizens, some in their 70s, and some most definitely in their 80s, uh, all decked out in their hiking gear with uh, two trekking poles, uh, hiking up uh, the mountain there along with us. Uh, looked like they did this kind of thing every day. Um, very impressive. They're all hiking on that, on that same path along with us. And that's, that's kind of like the church. Many, many different people are, are on the same path, but, but at various levels of progression, various levels of, of knowledge, of maturity, and experience. In every church, you have people who are at different stages in their faith journey or faith commitment. We're all on, on the same path, the, the path of the gospel, following Jesus, but some of us are a little further along than others. Some of us have been on that path longer than others, uh, and some just, just don't seem to be progressing as quickly as maybe they should. We, we all face challenges on that path, but, but some are more prepared for those challenges and are more equipped to handle them than others. And Jude is calling those in the church who are progressing on that path to pay attention to those who may be struggling to stay on that path. To be aware and to show patience and kindness to those who are asking questions about what it means to be on the path of the gospel or whether or not it's, it's really the best path for them. Um, maybe soon after they started on the path, they, they were befriended by some others who had made the decision to leave the path. And maybe they gave some reasons for why they were abandoning the path. That sounded pretty convincing to these young believers. So now these folks are wondering, should they continue on the path? Or should they follow those who claim that they found a better way? Well, the thing that I've noticed in uh, local churches or about local churches is that 
those who may be hesitating just a bit in their commitment, whose, whose faith may be wavering, they often don't feel like they can share how they're feeling with others in the church. And that's really a shame. They might feel like they would be judged or looked down upon if they expressed their doubts to another believer in the church. So when that happens, they, unfortunately, will look for others. Others who may also have doubts. Or to use my previous example, they will go and catch up with those who had decided to get off the path and to seek their advice about what they should do. They do that because they know, well, these people won't judge me. They will accept me. They, they will take me seriously. And of course, you know how that usually turns out. So brothers and sisters, the church should be a place where those who are doubting or who just simply have innocent questions about what the Bible teaches or how to live out the Christian life, well, they should feel safe and, and welcome to ask those questions. Our young people who are being bombarded with challenges to their faith in the Bible by this adversarial culture or by their friends or teachers who may be openly challenging their beliefs, they ought to know, they ought to be assured that they can come to us to ask those questions, to, to, to seek help. And they'll only do that if we have already established with them a loving relationship. We've shown them that we care about them, no matter where they're at, on this path, or even if they're off the path. We have to take them seriously. We have to take the initiative to disciple them, to help them grow in the faith. So let us be merciful to them and listen to them. And in the previous verse, verse 21, we were reminded there that it is the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the only basis for any of us to be accepted in God's sight. That we all deserve condemnation for our sins. But our King, the Lord Jesus, showed us mercy in coming to die for our sins on the cross, and he will come again. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and we will experience his mercy as we witness those who rejected him be condemned, and yet we will be spared. We will be welcomed. We will be given eternal life. For, for nothing that we have done or earned, it will all be due to the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have received such mercy, the least you can do is to show mercy to others who have come under the influence of those who may be departing the faith. So listen to them. Pray with and for them. Seek to help them with their questions. Point them to God's word and point them to the great wonder of the gospel that is the mercy of the Lord Jesus. Next in uh, verse 23, know the seriousness of the danger unbelievers are in and act appropriately. Know the seriousness of the danger unbelievers are in and act appropriately. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. So the condition of this other group seems to be a little more serious. It's a little more serious here than those who had the doubts. 
The folks in this group are in some serious danger of coming under judgment, coming under condemnation. They are in desperate need of being rescued. He uses strong language that's almost universally translated into English as snatching them from the fire, snatching them out of the fire. We've already seen uh, this reference uh, back in, in Zechariah chapter 3 that we read earlier, where in the prophet's vision, he hears the, the Lord describe Joshua, the high priest, who is representing the people of God as a brand plucked from the fire, meaning that he has been rescued, he has been saved. He deserved the fires of hell, but God has graciously snatched him out of the fire. And now Judah's taking the exa- that, that, that example and calling those in the church to follow the Lord uh, and seek to rescue those who are in danger of condemnation because they had, had followed these false teachers so far as to remove themselves from looking to Christ alone for their salvation. They, they've wandered away from that and have been looking to other things in other ways, probably themselves. Therefore, if they were to perish, they would not have the assurance of receiving the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ leading to eternal life. This may also mean that that these others have become ensnared by sin. Maybe they had followed the false teachers into sexual immorality. Or maybe they were so influenced by them that they were not taking any of the Lord's commandments seriously since they had rejected the authority of the Lord Jesus over them or they uh, uh, they're no longer believing that the Lord's word is authoritative. So they're just following in the sinful ways of the world, following their own sinful desires here. And so they are in danger, as anyone would be, of judgment while they're living in this unrepentant sin. That is, they they were indulging in sin and they refused to turn away from it, even when confronted and rebuked for it. So they're in grave danger. They're in grave danger of God's judgment, as all people are, who just continue in sin without turning away from it and seeking the Lord's forgiveness and help. So we get uncomfortable talking about things like this. We get uncomfortable talking about hell, especially describing it in the way that Jude does here, warning us of the fire of hell. Uh, we would prefer to describe hell as uh, I've heard other people describe it, you know, simply as being eternally separated from God. Or as you know, suffering from an eternal longing that will never be satisfied. We don't like to think of it as eternal flames and eternal conscious torment, as our statement of faith described it as. But, but quite often, that is how hell is described in Scripture. God's Word seems to want us to think that being in hell will be a lot like being engulfed in a flaming fire that will never be extinguished. Jesus warns his followers to avoid the hell of fire in Matthew 5.22. Hell is referred to as the lake of fire in Revelation 20. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, 26-27, we are given this warning that relates well with the situation that Jude was writing about in our passage. So in, in Hebrews 10, 26, 27, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, 
but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then in verse 31 of Hebrews 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So that is what Jude is addressing here. This is serious. There were some who were a part of the church who had been influenced by these false teachers, so influenced by them that they were led astray into sin. And at least at this time that Jude, Jude is writing this, they had no fear of God. No fear of judgment. No fear of hell. They had no idea of the danger that they were in. And Jude took the threat of hell for unbelievers seriously as do the rest of the apostles, as well as the Lord Jesus. So the question is, as we hear this word, will we take it seriously? Do we take the threat of judgment in hell seriously? Do we believe what God's word says? If we do, then we will do something about it, right? If we believe that that's what's going on, We'll do something about it. We must seek to rescue those who are in danger. In the early morning hours of July 30th, a couple weeks ago, in uh, northwest Miami-Dade County in Florida, a woman was driving on uh, Interstate 95, and she lost control of her car and ended up going off the highway, and the car rolled and came to a rest on the side of a building. Um, as a result of, the, of, the, of this accident, the car started on fire. And one man following uh, her, witnessing the accident, uh, his name was Daniel Biscasi, uh, he pulled his car to a stop along, along the side of the road. He saw the fire burning in the car, and he ran to see if there's anyone still in the car. And when he arrived at the car, he heard and saw the driver, this woman, trying to break her own windshield to get out of the car to escape the fire, and he knew she was in imminent danger, and so he does something about it. He did something about it right away. He ran back to his vehicle to look for something that he could use to, 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 to break that window open, um, and yelling out for help, and amazingly, another bystander gave him a sledgehammer. Just happened to have a sledgehammer. Gave him a sledgehammer. He grabbed it, ran to the car, busted open the, the windshield, pulled the woman out of the burning car to safety, snatching her from the fire, saving her life. Now for Daniel Biscasi, it was easy to see. It was easy for him to see the danger that that woman was in. For us in the church, dealing with people who are straying away from the faith, it isn't quite as easy for us to see the danger they're in. So Jude's helping us here. Jude wants us to recognize the seriousness of the danger that those who are in, who are straying uh, off of the gospel path. He's, he's, he's warning us, take action. They're in danger. Take action. Seek to help them to see the danger that they're in in order to snatch them out of the fire of judgment that is to come. But we also must take sin and temptation seriously as you seek to save others. 
That's the second half of verse 23. Take sin and temptation seriously as you seek to save others. In other words, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Look at this, verse 23. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So here we have the most interesting phrase in these two verses, show mercy with fear. Show mercy with fear. Uh, Jude is acknowledging here that there is danger involved with seeking to reach out to those who have strayed away. There is a risk. There is a risk when you are going to seek to convince those who have followed false teaching and have become ensnared by sin to realize and admit that they have been fooled, that they are wrong. The risk is, not that they might make us feel bad for doing this, not that they might judge us you know, for being holier than thou or whatever. The risk is that we might be tempted to follow them. That if we're not careful, we might be led astray as well. That is what Jude is warning us to fear. We are to fear our own tendency to fall into sin and then coming under judgment ourselves if we reject the gospel. We are not to hate those who have fallen under the influence of the enemy. We are not to hate the sinner. We are, not to, we, we, we are though, to hate the sin and what sin does to us and to those we love who have fallen astray. That's what's meant here by hating even the garment stained by the flesh. The flesh referred to here is not our human flesh, but the, the sin, the indwelling sin within us, our sinful nature that tempts us and deceives us into sin and disobedience. Uh, this group of people that Jude is referring to here are those who are engrossed in sin. They have been deceived by their own sin into rejecting the gospel. They are uh, they have rejected their own need for repentance. They are walking in darkness. Uh, we in the church are to have mercy on them by praying for them, by warning them of what will result if they continue in their sin, by proclaiming the gospel to them, calling them to repent. But we are to be careful. We are to use caution not to fall into temptation ourselves. We find a similar warning to Christians in Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, it says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. One way that I have witnessed this happening in local churches that I've been familiar with um, is when you have a certain group of church members that uh, begin to follow a different way. Uh, they begin to be upset with kind of how things are going in the church and they begin to grumble against church leadership, stirring up division within the body, as it says in Titus, and uh, begin forming uh, dissensions within the congregation. And some other members within the church who mean well who care about these people and seek to show mercy to them and listen to them and hear them out, oftentimes end up joining them in the grumbling or are manipulated by them 
and join them in their sin and seek to recruit others to join their cause as well. Jude here is warning us, remember what he said back in verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Be careful with them, he's saying. Be careful with them. Don't fall under their manipulation. They will do it. Grumbling can be quite contagious. And also we have this tendency to be manipulated by someone who claims to have inside information, who claims to know what's really going on. So let us take care when we know we are being told gossip or, or just rumors that, that lead us to believe something that may not be completely true. Church divisions can get messy. So let us take care not to be led into divisions or dissensions within the church. But let us also have hope. Let us take hope. Again, uh, the soiled garment here is another reference back to Zechariah 3. And the message of the vision that Zechariah was giving there is definitely not in any church member's ability to keep themselves from being manipulated or even to have hope in our own wisdom or self-control, the hope in that passage is all in the Lord. It's all in the Lord and his willingness and ability to save his people and purify them from all their sin. In Zechariah 3, 9 through 10, the Lord tells Joshua in the vision, uh, who again, you know, Joshua is the, the high priest who represents God's elect people, the Lord tells them there, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In a single day. I will remove the sin, the impurity of my people. And we know that it was on the day of the crucifixion. On that day that we now refer to as Good Friday, God dealt with all the sins of his people. He put them on Jesus Christ, the only one whose garments were clean and pure, the only one who ever lived who kept their garments clean and pure from being defiled with sin. They had never been soiled by sin, and God put our sin, our filthy garments, stained by sin, on him. He placed them on Jesus, on that cross, and he paid for them there, dying for our sin, suffering the wages of sin on our, on our behalf, and then he rose again from the dead, showing that his death was completely sufficient for our salvation. It is completely done there. For those of you who feel like you are wearing filthy garments, that your heart or your life is stained by sin, the Lord declares, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. For those who are doubting and questioning whether all this can really be true, the Lord invites you to come and see, come and taste that the Lord is good. Get to know him better. Listen more to his word. 
for those who are ensnared by sin, the Lord invites you to repent and come and, and have your sin-stained garments removed from you. And through your faith in the Lord, you'll be clothed in his righteousness. And for those of you who may have been deceived and manipulated into following a different way, the way of the world maybe, maybe hoping in your own self-righteousness, you know, hoping that if I just come to church once in a while, then that'll get me into heaven. Well, the Lord says to you, repent of that. You have no hope in that at all. And entrust yourself to the only one who can restore you to fellowship with God and to fellowship with your brothers and sisters here in Christ. Come to him. Experience his mercy, which leads to eternal life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you truly would be helping us, each of us, in whatever stage we're on, on this path of uh, the gospel, trusting in you, following you, maybe if we've strayed off the path, Father, that you truly would help us, that you would help us to see our desperate need for Jesus, and that we would commit ourselves to knowing him and following him and believing his word. Well, we pray for restoration for those who have fallen away. We pray for revival for those of us who are complacent in our faith. We pray for your power to be given to us to make disciples. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.